Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1, we'll be looking this morning at verses 26 through 56. Luke 1, verse 26. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servants Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this portion of your holy, inerrant word. 
and as we study it and these magnificent events that took place and the beautiful words that are here, we pray, Father, that these would be more than words on a page, but a truth that we know in our hearts by your grace, knowing the one of whom these verses speak, the Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. I'm curious, quick survey here, how many of you have ever participated in a Christmas play, program, pageant, whatever you want to call it? How many of you have ever been a participant in it? Wow, many of you, okay. Well, we are in a series called The Cast of Christmas, and uh, if you've ever participated in one, uh, then you're familiar with the cast. Of course, if you've ever read your Bible, you're familiar with one, or been alive very long at all, you're familiar with the major participants in the Christmas story. Uh, For me, I felt kind of like it was at Shermie in a Charlie Brown Christmas special where they had the Christmas play. He said, it's the same thing every year. I'm a shepherd. Uh, It seemed my role to play a shepherd. Uh, But you're, you're familiar with the cast of Christmas. Well, that's what we're looking at in these weeks leading up to Christmas Day. Last week, we looked at, uh, from Matthew chapter 1, at the revelation that was given to Joseph of the child that was to be born. Of course, Joseph, in his dismay and finding his wife expecting, uh, could only conclude one thing. But the Lord came to him and said, it's not what you think. And uh, instructed Joseph that he was to go ahead and take Mary as his wife. Uh, They were engaged. They were betrothed, which was a more binding arrangement. But he was to go ahead with the proceedings and uh, was to own this child as his own and pass on his lineage, his name. He was to name him Jesus. Uh, And so we saw Joseph's response to all of that as the Lord came to him. He was obedient, did as the Lord told him. We have the counterpart today in Luke chapter 1 where the Lord, by his servant Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, uh, comes to Mary. And as we've read this text, we can really look at it in three parts, three events that take place. It's divided uh, just like it would be here in our Bibles with the various headings, different parts of this narrative uh, as we look at it. And the first, uh, the first section here, verses 26 through 38, is Gabriel's visitation. We are told here uh, that the name of this angel, angel that came to Mary was Gabriel. Verse 26, sent from God to Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. That kind of ties it in with what we studied last week in Matthew chapter 1. So the Lord sends Gabriel. It doesn't always tell us the name of the angel who came with a message, but uh, in this case we do know. And in the first place, (coughs) the angel Gabriel delivers to her what is called the Annunciation. Uh, In other words, the Revelation to Mary, this announcement of what was to take place. We see it in verses 26 through 33. Uh, And he says any number of things to her. He tells her in verse 30, uh, after greeting her, that this child would be named Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. We saw last week the name of Jesus. The name Jesus means something to the effect of he saves, of the Lord saves, the Lord's salvation. And so the angel uh, told Mary, as Joseph had it revealed to him in a dream that he was to to name this child Jesus. The angel says to her uh, in verse 30 that he would be a son. Again, last week we saw that Joseph knew that they would become parents of a son back in the days before you could know such things through technological means. Um, 
verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. But she also learns from Gabriel's appearance that uh, not only would he be uh, a savior by the name of Jesus, not only would he be a son, but he would also be a king. He'd be a sovereign. Uh, He goes on to say in verse 32, he will be great. Now, I suppose every parent gazing at their newborn child or contemplating the boy or girl's arrival in the womb might dream all kinds of great things for this child, what the baby's going to grow up to be and do and accomplish in the world. But angel, the angel Gabriel says to Mary, he will be great. It's something of an understatement, but um, that's how he conveyed it to Mary. He will be called the son of the most high. So he will be a son. He will be a son to you, son to Joseph, but he is also the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And you hear echoes of various Old Testament prophecies that are, 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 are reflected in that announcement of the angel as he comes to Mary and reveals to her these things. Now, Mary uh, was understandably frightened, uh, not not so much perhaps at the message, which one wonders how much she was really taking in as she stared at this being uh, before her, although as her reply shows, she was thinking. Uh, but just the very presence of this angel, it says to her, has to assure her uh, as she wondered what was going on, do not be afraid, Mary. Uh, the angel has not come. This is not the death angel. You are not about to die. Rather, just the opposite. Uh, deliver a message to you here to promise things that will happen in your future. You have found favor with God. Now, as Mary's contemplating the things that the angel has said, a rather logical thought formed in her mind. Uh, Mary might have been young, but she did understand how things worked. And so she says in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How will this be? since I'm a virgin. And she understood how things worked, and so obviously she had a question. Well, following the Annunciation, we have Gabriel's explanation, and she raises a rather valid point. Verse 35, The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, this is going to be something that is done by the work of God. This, This will be something that is truly miraculous and people have been stumbling over it ever since uh, some of you may know the name J. Gresham Machen Machen was uh, lived in the 20th century was a uh, professor of New Testament at Princeton Theological Seminary in the waning days of its orthodoxy he um, had studied in Germany he had been exposed to all of the cutting-edge, modernist, liberal theologies. Uh, He had felt their temptation and attraction, but he had also seen through their errors and and problems, and he was a believer, and he was not snared by that, and he was a very sound and orthodox teacher. But when uh, Princeton was reorganized, he uh, found himself in many ways something of an odd duck in a seminary that was going in a new direction, 
and Machen actually uh, left Princeton, was thrown out of Princeton, was defrocked by his denomination over that, over missions, other things going, going on. But he was also the founder in uh, 1929 of Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Now, Machen wrote any number of books, but perhaps his uh, magnum opus was a book entitled The Virgin Birth of Christ. Uh, a magnificent treatment of this, not necessarily easy reading, and yet a thorough uh, and detailed study of the doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ. Well, one thing's for sure. Either it happened the way the scriptures say, or it didn't. How can this happen? Well, humanly speaking, it can. Humanly speaking, it doesn't. But we're not speaking humanly. This was an act of God. And if God can call galaxies into being, if God can... Uh, rule over everything that happens in this universe, if God is God, then certainly it's no great difficulty to him to accomplish a virgin birth. And that is exactly Gabriel's answer to her. How will this happen? These things don't happen. They can't happen. And Gabriel's answer is yes, but God is going to make it happen. For with God, nothing is impossible. What's more, he not only explains that this will be the work of God, he explains the nature of the child. The child will be born, will be called holy, the son of God, in a unique way. Now, every one of us who is a Christian is a son of God or daughter of God, uh, a child of God, but we are that through adoption. But Jesus was, in a unique way, the son of God. Now, Gabriel, the Lord, of course, behind him, was, was... very understanding of Mary, and God frequently does this. You read this in the scriptures. Then when he promises something, he gives a sign, and that is exactly what happens here. Behold, verse 36, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month. It is a pregnancy with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. If you're looking for some good Sunday reading, you can go back and read the first part of Luke chapter 1 that describes Zechariah and Elizabeth and the Lord's coming to Zechariah as he was on duty in the temple. Zechariah's reluctance to believe what God had said to him and God, uh, and what happened as a result of that. But the, the angel simply points to her relative, Elizabeth, and says, yes, uh, you have your objections, but uh, the woman who was thought to be barren is now six months along. Now, that was not, uh, it was the work of God, but through the ordinary means. Uh, That was not the case with Mary, but the Lord points to her, to Elizabeth, as a sign that uh, this, in fact, will come to pass that he is saying to Mary. And you have Mary's acquiescence in this. Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord, which is a way of saying, I I submit to this, let it be to me according to your word. And Gabriel left. Well, so we have the angel's visitation. The first part of this, the, the, the announcement, explanation of what's going to happen. Well, then the second part we have here is Elizabeth's confirmation of, of these events. And we read that, verses 49 through, uh, or rather 39 through 45. In those days, Mary rose and went with haste, maybe in response to uh, what the angel has told her. We don't know if she knew about Elizabeth, and, and presumably not. After all, they didn't have email and phone calls and that kind of thing in that day. It's quite possible she didn't realize what was going on with Elizabeth, although she might have known. 
But after the angel left, she went quickly to a town in Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth there and said, said hello to Elizabeth, greeted her upon her arrival. Um, she, uh, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, three things happen here, three significant items that take place. And the first one is that when Elizabeth greets Mary, Mary greets Elizabeth, Elizabeth feels her baby jump. Now, babies move, but this must have been something quite out of the ordinary to take such note of it. The baby leaped in her womb. This was a jump, and she felt this. Uh, and she explains, verse 44, When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Felt this jump. Well, not only the baby's jump, but Elizabeth's own words serve to confirm what is going on. Uh, the end of verse 41 says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so where the Lord spoke to Mary through Gabriel, he speaks to her now through Elizabeth, but we're told this is the work of God. This is the <clears throat> result of the Holy Spirit coming so that what she is saying is actually confirmation from God. Verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, I think that was the confirmation. And when Gabriel spoke to Mary, and Mary went to Elizabeth, uh, that, that what she spoke was the word of God, the word of the Holy Spirit, to Mary to confirm to her what is going on. The mother of my Lord. And then we have also here this benediction or blessing that Elizabeth pronounces on Mary, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She probably was quite aware that her husband had not believed what the Lord had said about their child. Maybe that was in the back of her mind. She's thinking of her husband. But she says of Mary, blessed is she who did believe that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. <clears throat> so we have this angelic visitation. We have Elizabeth's confirmation to her. Uh, about the things that the angel said. And that leads up then to the last section of our text, and that is uh, Mary's exaltation. Uh, it's called the Magnificat, uh, taken from the first word, my soul magnifies, uh, in the Latin version, uh, the Magnificat. But Mary's song, this reaction uh, to what has taken place, it's set in a verse form because it really is, is more like a psalm, really, than just... Prose. But Mary basically exalts in, in four things as uh, you go through here. Each of these we could look at in considerable detail, just really kind of taking an overview here. She rejoices that God sees her. Verses 46, 47, 48. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary rejoices because God noticed her. Now, most of us would be uh, intrigued or gratified or delighted when someone of some stature, someone of some worldly influence or power notices us or pays attention to us uh, when they wouldn't have to. 
well, how much more with Mary when the Lord God himself has paid attention to her and she's aware that God knows of her and, in fact, has come to her with this message. That, that's the source of joy for her. Uh, looked upon, looked on the humble state of his servant. Has the idea of regard for or concern for. Well, there's another reason. She rejoices in what God has done for her. Look at uh, the middle of verse 48. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So, a couple of things. One, she acknowledges that from that day on, people would consider her blessed. People would take note of Mary. And we do. Mary is a unique and special person because of the role that she played in salvation history. We don't worship her. We certainly don't see her as some mediary between us and Jesus or us and God. The Bible never presents Mary in that way. Mary went on to have other children. Uh, she and Joseph had other children. We read of Jesus' brothers in Scripture, such as James, uh, the book of James. Uh, she went on to uh, raise these boys. Uh, but Mary obviously was a unique and special person in that out of all the women in history, the Lord chose her to be the one to bring the Messiah into the world. And we do call her blessed for that, a unique role. Uh, he's mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So what God has done for her. God's power for her, verses 51 through 53, she also rejoices in that. He's shown strength with his arms, scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate, filled the hungry with good things, rich he sent empty away. He's helped his servant Israel. She reflects on the fact that this is a God whose power for her is the power that is active in the world. It's interesting uh, to go back to 1 Samuel 2, to Hannah's song, Hannah the mother of Samuel. Uh, and note the similarities. After you get through reading the first part of Luke 1, you can go to 1 Samuel 2 and read Hannah's praise to God there and note the similarities. Uh, if you want to go further, you can note the similarities between Samuel as a child and Jesus as a child. Uh, there's some, some, some uh, close uh, relationship between the two, and I think intentionally in some ways. But at any rate, she is celebrating the fact that this is a God who confounds human wisdom. This is a God who is able to overturn the status quo, <clears throat> and in fact, all of history is doing that as God overturns the presence and effects and power of sin in our lives and in this world to that day when Christ returns and the whole thing will now be reversed. Those who have humbled themselves and trusted in Christ will be exalted. Those who have opposed God in their arrogance and pride will be cast down. This is a God whose power is at work and whose power is at work for her. And then last, she rejoices in God's faithfulness. He's helped us serve in Israel in remembrance, remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Probably in view to the messianic prophecies. This is a God who remembers the promises that he made and fulfills them. He's not in a hurry. It may take a long time. But this is a God who does what he says he will do in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers. Mary was pondering the fact that those promises made so long ago were being fulfilled and being fulfilled in her. And so she gives up this song of praise to the Lord. Well, as we look at what Mary said, 
while it's unique to her in one sense, in another sense, you and I share in those very items for which Mary praises God. Let's go back and look at them. Look at them as they relate to us. God looks at us. God is aware of us. Mary praises the Lord that he looked upon her, was mindful of her. Well, that's true of every one of us. The Lord knows of us. He knows who we are. He knows our names. He knows where we live. He knows what we do. He knows the things that make us happy. He knows the things that make us sad. He is acquainted, as the scripture says, with our going out and our coming in. When we lie down and when we rise up, God knows you. He knows what's going on with you. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you've got going on in your life. He does not abandon us. He's not distant and disconnected, but intimately acquainted with all our ways. God acts on our behalf as she praises, as Mary praises God for what he has done for her. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. God has acted on our behalf, hasn't he, in sending his son, in doing this amazing work and sacrificial work to redeem a people, to redeem us for himself. But then as we go on to the third item that Mary praises God for, praises him for God's power for her. You see, God saves us. God acted 2,000 years ago when he sent Christ into the world and when Christ went to the cross. And now, in our lives, when he has drawn us to himself, but God's power is still at work. God reigns over history for your benefit and for mine, for the well-being of the church. God is still the one who acts in history after he saves us to continue to work in us that salvation that he has brought about. And then last, God is always faithful. We serve a God who keeps his promises to us who is faithful to us. Uh, He's not at our beck and call. Uh, He doesn't jump when we we order him or any time we have some desire or concern or fear, just like any parent with their child has a much bigger view of things and a much greater understanding of things. Nevertheless, God is always faithful. He will never fail to fulfill any promise that he has made. It may not be in the way that we would dictate to him that he should, but we have the assurance of knowing that the ways that he does it are far better than we could have come up with on our own. And so, as Mary praised God, celebrated the being and the power and the character and the work of God, as we celebrate Christmas, that should be a great part of it, praising God for who he is and for what he has done. We join with Mary, we join with countless of the Lord's people through the years, who have worshipped the great and saving God we serve. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you and acknowledge with Mary your greatness. Lord, with her, our souls magnify the Lord. Our spirits rejoice in God, our Savior. We thank you, O God, that you acted in history. You are acting in history to redeem your people, to glorify your name. We praise you, O God. We draw near to you in worship and sacrament. And we praise you, for you are great and mighty. You are lifted up and exalted. 
And you have been a faithful and mighty God. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.